Writers are haunted. Writers are haunted. Which is why we keep notebooks to store up our ghosts. To store up our ghosts. To let them dance and sing. Writers collect ghosts. Return to the same old spots. Leave gifts. Leave flowers. Say prayers to their relics. Writers are haunted. Writers are haunted. Look at our dreams. This is where it all begins. The second life. Write down your dreams. Write down your dreams, I say. They will tell you what you are missing. The woman, the girl. A reading life, a writing life with writer and teacher Sally Bailey. Produced by Andrew Smith. I think it is true that if you want to be a writer, you have to be haunted by your characters. I've woken up this morning feeling rather haunted by Miss Cull. One of the characters in my forthcoming book, The Green Lady, but who continues to haunt me in the book I'm trying to write now, the book I am writing now, called Pond Life, I started up the character of Miss Cull and the Green Lady. She gets um, her first go there of being my biographical subject. I learned this at school that some people live this life rifling through cabinets and drawers. Rifling through cabinets and drawers. Take Miss Cull, my music teacher. There she is, rummaging through her bag. Miss Cull is always rummaging, poor soul. What are you looking for, Miss Cull? What have you lost? Deeds, a will, some inheritance. Fill your notebook, Miss Cull. There are no walls behind you. You're as nameless as a ghost. Miss Edith Cull doesn't have a house. She lives in a flat. She doesn't have bolted iron gates with stone lions ready to growl. She is quite confined, restricted. Poor Miss Cull needs room to grow. I pity her. I pity her.
Miss Cole, the spinster who lived opposite us in the flats, we knew as King's Mere. Who's now making her first cup of tea for the morning and is wondering, as she opens her milk with her left hand rather clumsily, opening her milk rather loudly, with her window open in front of her, poking out her nose into the morning air. It is after eight o'clock in the morning now and the sun is out and there is Plucky the cat scratching her chin and her neck, watching the flies go by. Good morning, Plucky, says Miss Cole as she balances her tea cup in her left hand and watches Plucky the cat move slightly to the left behind the orange boy. Just next to my town on the boardwalk, said Miss Carl, holding her tea rather precariously in her left hand before she took a rather loud sip. Miss Carl, what can I tell you of her? That she wore her blouse necks high and tight. That she wore her blouse necks high and tight and her back ramrod straight. Ramrod straight. In the morning she carefully unfolds a thermal vest and pulls the sleeves gently. Unties the ribbon around her neckline to make sure it isn't crumpled. Everything must be nice and smooth. Nice and smooth. I'm not so sure that I've acquired Miss Cole's habits of keeping things so nice and smooth and indeed around my neck this morning. I managed to have got my earphone wires nicely tangled so I'm not so sure that's very, very much in character with Miss Cole the spinster. Miss Cole, who would never sip her tea so loudly. Miss Cole, who left the house at 8.15 in the morning. I say house, I mean her flat. She lived on the 12th floor, and for years I watched her descend to the ground floor, go through the revolving glass doors and out along Granville Road towards Mole Travers Drive, which appears in almost every book I seem to have written in the last few years some places do they become mythic spaces in your mind and the thing about Moltravers Drive was that it followed a lovely S shape a lovely S shape Plenty of people live lives of work and busyness. Plenty of people pay their rent. Even poets. Even poets. Miss Cole went into the world and earned her living. Some women did this. 
but what you don't see in your own life, you can only imagine. And I did. Imagine. Imagine, Miss Cole. What can I tell you of her? What can I tell you of her? So I'm thinking about my book, The Green Lady, which comes out on July 20th, next week. Put simply, it's the story of a child who is in search of a certain way of seeing the world. I suppose she wishes to see the world like an artist. It's a child's search for an artistic way of putting things and of seeing the people and the place around her. Much of the book covers her relationship to her teachers, of which her grandmother was her first primary source of instruction, of knowledge of the world and how it worked, of the people in it, of the places in it. In many ways, it's a hymn of praise, a paean to my grandmother and to those women who raised me, teachers of all kinds, mothers of all kinds, maternal spirits. History is full of mothers who lie in bed fretting and forgetting to put out the supper. And so the green lady comes to air the beds, to teach the children to dance and sing. She knows the best bedtime stories and can intuit any kind of folly or danger. The green lady who comes to air the beds, to teach the children to dance and sing. She is a kindly ghost, a sensitive nanny, a visitor, the old pair, the home help. You will never see her come. You will never see her go. She is a muse, a spirit of place. She treads delicately and lightly and never usurps. Delicately and lightly and never usurps. She is a woman with a heart full of children. A heart full of children. When she disappears, the trees whisper, see the green lady has passed over, see the green lady has passed over. She is life and death and everything in between. So I have been reading you small parts from my next book, The Green Lady, but I realise that the business of writing that book has only just begun because the characters that spring out from those pages, in between those pages, 
in between are still living with me. Miss Cull, my music teacher as she once was, has become a version of myself. And I can say now truly, as I say, here in this book, in front of me, printed large, that I am haunted by the idea of becoming old. And I am haunted by old ladies, those who raised me, now forgotten and discarded. Not by me. Not by me, the writer. And I can say truly that I am haunted by myself, by versions of myself, by all the selves I've gathered together. Because all writers, once they start reporting on life, turn into ghosts. There's my little friend outside the window going to school. Are you a ghost? No. Are you alive, Mavis? Of course I am. <laughs> I think I've just woken up and I think I'm a ghost, Maeve. But then you couldn't be talking. <laughs> That's true, unless this is my second life. Maybe this is me come back to life to work out what I didn't do the first time. Bye-bye. Have a good time at school. Bye. There goes Mavis off to school, bearing a very bright pink pullover. I think it's interesting that Mavis is reneging on ghosts this morning. There are certain times of day when one has to disbelieve in ghosts. Certainly at 8.15 in the morning. Not the time for ghosts, not at all. Renee, 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 on your discourse with ghosts. That comes later in the day. That comes at bedtime. That comes at twilight. So I have a sudden urge to go into my engine room, which is the smallest space in my boat. It's like a it's like the back stage space of a theatre where you might imagine the lighting man hangs out perhaps with all of his dials and leads and cords and microphones and sound boxes and amplifiers. But this is where the dials for my solar panels sit, where I can monitor how many amps are going in to my batteries and how much voltage is being produced. I wanted to experiment sitting in the smallest space I have at my disposal, which is my engine room. I imagine it is perhaps four feet by three feet, about that sort of size. It makes me feel related somehow to my character. There I am taking off the flap of my book, my new book, which I don't wish it to get too dusty in the engine room. Because what I wanted to do was try and compress 
the sense of myself as a writer and as a writer producing a character. There's the wood pigeon. But the character I have in mind is Miss Edith Cull, and space for her is also an issue. You see, Miss Cull measures her life in feet. 10 feet by 8 feet, 11 feet by 7 feet, 6 feet by 12 feet. The size of her spare room where she keeps her hymn books lined up like lizards, drying out in the sun today, she says. I will dry out my hymn books in the sun. And so Miss Cull takes her hymn books out from her spare room, which is nothing more really than a closet, a narrow, dank, dark closet. She takes out her hymn books and she lines them along the length of her narrow balcony. And so they dry, dry, dry lizards, drying out in the sun, Miss Cull's hymn books. Oh, how I pity her. How I pity her. Miss Carl, how I pity you. But here you are inside my notebook. Here you are inside my mind. I've had a notebook for years. For drawing, for doodling, for writing up lines. Miss Carl, Miss Carl. Miss Carl, you will have your lines too. A doodle? A doodle maybe, Miss Carl. A doodle is a daydream. And a daydream is a break from life. A pause. Breathe in and out and the shapes will come. Lines crossing under and over in most peculiar ways. Like my body now, folded strangely, oddly, to fit the shape of this, my engine room, because what I wanted to do was to feel with Miss Carl, to feel with Miss Carl, the same kind of compression, the same kind of compression. And now, I have a headache. An engine room headache. I have been too compressed for too long in this dusty space. Full of cobwebs. Full of darkness and strange shapes. You have to work hard to keep atmosphere. You have to contain it, and I do believe that most forms of creativity do best being contained, which is why poetry is so useful, which is why hymns are so useful. They bring me back to the shape of words within a confined space, within a meter, within a rhyme, within a line, within a length of breath.
pity, 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 from the Latin pietas, meaning pious, meaning it's your blooming duty to feel something for people like Miss Cull, the leftovers, the dried husks. Pity is a terrible emotion to be stuck with. A dried husk, an acorn shell, <sighs> blown on the wind, blown on the wind. Thank you for listening to A Reading Life, A Writing Life with writer and teacher Sally Bailey. Produced by Andrew Smith. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please like it, give us a review, or mention us to friends or on social media. Thank you.